This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. And within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Takeover, and with me is my good friend and co-founder of Bonsai Creative, Nick Bugs, and our esteemed guest, Jennifer Cooney. Nick, Jennifer, please say hello. Hello, hello. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I love how you do that, Chris. You introduce us both at the same time, which then makes us talk over each other. You know, so it's like, yes. you know, you gotta get a cue us up, you know, it's either me or Jennifer first. It's fine. It's fine. It'll work out. Maybe we'll you do know, something you, crazy you, in the edit. Yeah. You, you step in all sorts of piles of doo-doo <laughs> that way. Right. Like is she, is Jennifer going to be offended because I didn't, you know, what, you know, I introduced you first. Are you offended? Cause you're the actual co-host of this thing and you didn't get introduced first. It's I, don't better know, just I think to, you were setting us up to establish dominance. I yeah, don't know. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's just better just to say it both and let you guys fight it out. Like fight it out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just put the food in the just, middle of the table and whoever, you know, <laughs> right, whoever's exactly. most dominant will eat. Right. Yeah. It's an introduction cage match. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Thank it you. sounds like you both died in the cage. <laughs> right, <laughs> or or we both came out holding hands. I don't know. One or the exactly. Other. <laughs> I think I think we came out holding hands, and I then agree. we went after our captor. And you know what happens next, bro? You right. Know. Oh, no. exactly. This is the moment where the tiger it's eats fault, Siegfried. Really. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I don't want to go there, man. That that was sad. <laughs> it was sad. Was I shouldn't. Sad. Have, you know who 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 got ate by a tiger that deserved it? Let's say them instead. Do, do we know anybody? No, because now, now, now you got us all up in you know Tiger King territory, and Jennifer same spot. I am. Mm-mm. Yeah, oh, yeah, that mm-hmm. guy, that guy got not, ate not by a tiger, and, des- and he deserved it, right? I didn't watch it. Not gonna do it. Wouldn't be. Prudent. I still Let haven't it watched it to this day. <laughs> I purposely, Good. intentionally did not want to fall into. Honestly, guys, that was part of COVID health for me. Like staying out like, of that. Yeah, staying out of Tiger King was like staying healthy oh. during COVID. Now yeah. this was during self-care. the time <laughs> right, self-care. Yeah. This yep. was at the time where we were told COVID was gonna be over by the end of May. 
So it's like it was gonna burn up in the sun. Remember, it was gonna burn up in the sun. <laughs> and, you know, it will be you know, everything will be fine. And I thought to myself, I am not going to reach to the depths of depravity, depravity, whatever, uh, just because we're trapped inside the house. And now it turns out I should have watched it. No, no, no. You're good. And I think you're. I think you made the right choice. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You're yeah. good. You're good. Yeah. Jennifer, we need to we need to rip you know the seal off of you because the audience knows me and Nick for the fools that we are. Speak for myself. <laughs> That's what Nick's going to say next. <laughs> but but we don't know. But we don't know you. So. Give us a little intro and please tell us about this amazing film, uh, Wildfire. My name is Jennifer Cooney and I am a independent filmmaker in Pennsylvania, kind of right outside of Scranton, which everyone knows, right, from the office. Um, (laughs) So kind of a a lone wolf in the filmmaking world out here, Um, but that's perfectly fine with me. I write myself Wildfire is my directorial debut, and with my co-producer, Connor Allen, we made this movie together. I edited it, and I would say 95% of my crew is local. We filmed in my friend's house for two weeks. You know, we just, we made it work, and I really think it started something special with filming locally, and it's something I want to continue to do. That's pretty awesome. So over the last weekend, this past weekend, I helped film a 48-hour film. And I don't know if you've ever done the 48, but it's, it's a fire hose. Right? I can't I, imagine. <laughs> yeah. I got five hours of sleep in about an aggregate of like maybe 60 hours. And it was just crazy because you're just going. And for those who aren't familiar, you get your genre, you get your sub genre, you get all the elements that have to be in your film at about 5 PM on Friday. And you have to turn in a completed finished film, everything by 7 30, yes, 7.30 p.m. on Sunday. And so you are really cramming a lot of stuff into a very small period of time. Now, I'm very proud of the film we made, and I can't wait to show it to everybody. But with that in mind, it, it just makes me think about sort of the indie journey. And so with, with, with Wildfire, I'd love to get into the weeds of your creative a little bit. When you were writing it, did you write it in the sense of, I need to have limited locations because this is indie or did you write it how you wanted to write it? And it just turned out that you could use your own house or your friend's house or, so I'm just curious how many locations that you end up having and yeah, how difficult of a choice was that as an indie? I mean, with my first project that I ever did, it was an extremely limited location, um, very low budget. So that was already in my wheelhouse to pull that off. And when I set out to make wildfire, it was only going to be a short and it was basically just proving that I could direct something because Mm -hmm. I knew I could, but literally the only thing on my resume under director was confidence. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I needed to show a proof of concept. I'm able to do this. So I was like, great, I'll do a short. So I, I actually hired the whole crew before I even finished the script. And Mm -hmm. We, we knew we were going to film at my friend's house because she has a beautiful uh, new construction home. It was gorgeous. And I'm writing after I've already hired everyone. And I kind of round page 20 and realize I've just started act two. And I'm like, yeah. this is not a short film. This is a feature film. 
Right. <laughs> so yeah. I called everyone up and they were literally ecstatic. It was like, oh, this is a feature. We're doing it. We're going all the way with it. Yes, let's make it happen. So we got the green light from my friend, the homeowner, and we were good to go. So in a lot of ways, it kind of felt like that where the pressure was on to write the script. And then all of a sudden it became, you know, 10 times the project that it started out to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you give us a quick synopsis of Wildfire? Absolutely. It's a story about seven acquaintances that get radically honest about their lives one night after a party. So it takes place in the course of 24 hours. We open in the bedrooms of all of these characters. So it's three couples of various sexualities and a recent widow. Mm -hmm. And we see them at their most vulnerable, what they're really going through as couples. And then cut to, they're all guests at the widow's 50th birthday party. They're all having their social masks on, playing the perfect couples. Mm -hmm. And then everyone leaves except for them. They're around the fire and they start busting the exemplary couple, how perfect they are. Mm -hmm. Well, they open up about what's really going on. And then that sets the stage for the rest mm -hmm. of the characters to open up about their secrets or their lies or what they've been hiding or going through. And cut to, we're back to the bedroom the next morning and we see... Do they implement anything different in their life or do they act like nothing has changed? That's great. Yeah, yeah I, I love, love that. that. I love that premise. And I, I'd love for you to go a little bit more into something that you just mentioned that I really like, that I don't know that a lot of people have kind of listened or heard that that vocabulary, right? Which is mm. the social mask. And, mm. you know, from the little that we know about you, but what we know about Half Jack and some of the films, the stuff that you're working on in your art in so many different ways. I think that's your intention, right? Your intention is to provide a look into human life, right? What is the humanity of yes. people? What are the things that they're going through? So if you could just expand upon that, like why did you feel it important to identify social masks and that process of actually taking the mask off? Absolutely. Um, everyone is used to stories of outer darkness, right? the good old story of light versus dark. And it's yep. always on the outside. It's always an enemy of some sort. Mm. I'm more interested in inner darkness and the darkness that we convince ourselves is helping us in some way is helping mm. us get ahead or is helping us stay safe or is helping us stay with the person we're with. And to me, none of that is helping anything. It's actually destroying your soul. It's stopping you from growing. It's stopping challenges from getting to you so that you can expand and be more of your authentic self. So that's really why I honed in on the term radical honesty for this story, because okay. it's this story is really all about stepping into your true authentic self. And for most people, that's such a superficial concept where they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to tell someone that their new haircut is ugly. No, that is not radical honesty. Radical honesty is taking the thing that you are deathly afraid of saying because you're convinced people will not like you or they will reject you or you'll be abandoned or the person you're with will leave you and saying it anyway to risk losing everyone or everything in your life as to not risk losing yourself. So that's really what this story is all about. The price of truth. Yeah, that's, that's dangerous. You know, like that's the thing about it. It's like you said, like risk losing all of these things. You know, one of the things that I think about it, like I, I've grown over time, you know, I, I mm -hmm. and we've all we all grow in these different ways. Sure. Right. 
And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, right? So I'm going to put some radical honesty out there because we got Jennifer Cooney here with us today. Um, but it was, it was, yeah, I'm, I'm going there, Chris. So, so my buddy Chris's birthday was yesterday. Now, it's, it was happy his birthday, birthday yesterday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, Thank you. but it's kind of like his birthday week too, right? I mean, there's, it's not good. It's probably going to be extended even longer. But one of the things that I was sure to tell Chris, all right, I'm being radically honest. This is kind of scary. I'm getting a little nervous. I'm sweating a little bit. Sweating a one little the, bit. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I was sure to tell Chris on his birthday was that I loved him. Okay. Mm-hmm. That crap is dangerous when you're a dude. Right. Like that's not mm-hmm. something that you're supposed to say to another guy. Right. As, and especially even now, I'm not supposed to be saying this on a podcast. Like there's people going to hear this. People are going to see this. They're like, he did what? But that's the that's the truth of it. Right. Like what, you know, as friends who've known each other for over 20 years, our family knows each other. We've gone through ups and downs together, all these things. It's true. But there yes. is a social mask you end up putting on sometimes that right. as a guy, I'm not allowed to say this, right? Exactly. Or someone's going to ridicule me. And mm-hmm. then you start to think about things like, well, who's going to ridicule me? And whoever those people are who are going to ridicule me are probably people I don't want in my life anyway, right? right? And you start to kind of like, you take that mask off and you see yourself for who you really are. I mm-hmm. feel like that just opens up a whole other world. So that's why I think I really identify with what you're doing through your art. And I think that you're going to continue to do with half Jack, uh, you yes. know, I, so I, I love it. I'm I yeah. seriously like applaud it, you know? Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that story with me, because that's something that I explore very deeply with the, one of the straight male characters mm. in the film, you know, whatever he's going through with his wife, which is yet for the audience to see whatever right. he's going through with her, he's afraid of how it's going to look. So he's afraid to say certain things, but all he really wants is to get her to speak. He knows what she wants. He knows that she needs more. Say it. Why? No, I, it doesn't matter that I know I need you to say it out loud. And I think on some level, we all can feel what other people are feeling. Like Chris knows that you love him. That's right. right? I know. (laughs) You know, you know that in your bones. And I, (laughs) That level of like radical truth, despite the person that you're supposed to be or the face that you're supposed to put on or the tough guy that you're, everyone expects you to be, ugh, like that is, to me, it's so archaic. It's so of the past. So to see an evolved man in my camera right now is so beautiful. (laughs) And thank you for that because that's all we can do. We can't walk around preaching and telling people how to be different and how to change. It's just being the change. It's being right. different without any sort of shame. And right, that's the one. That's the word. It's being that authentic self without shame. There you go. And yeah, then that's it. other people start picking up on it. Oh, well, if he can do that, why can't I do that? And then all of a sudden, the whole world is different because you weren't afraid to tell your best friend that you love him. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Evolution. I love it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's interesting how like straight guys tiptoe into that too. Mm-hmm. When they're friends, it'll start with "love you, bro." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't, we can't, or just, nope. and then, it, and then, and then, and then, no, it actually will start with "love you, bro." It won't be the I because the eyes, the eye is yeah. tough. The right. eye means me. The eye means me. You are real scary, so it's got to be "love ya." Yeah, that's right. Bro, "Love ya, bro." Right? Yep. 
Yeah, love, love you, bro. And then it kind of, and then when you really, like you said, you get to that place where you're in that spot of radical honesty. It's like, I love you. I do. And that's what it is. And so I really related to that as well, just coming up in the music industry before we switched over into film. And I had a singing group, was was doing all the songwriting. And you talked about sort of how inner darkness becomes a couch for you and you think it's doing something for you, like it has Mm -hmm. a superpower that it doesn't have and it prevents you from growing. I used mm-hmm. to repeat that Billy Corgan line from Smashing Pumpkins where he'd say, I was, I'm in love with my sadness. Mm. And I would, I could always channel a great song out of pain, but I could never seem to channel what I thought was a great song out of happiness. And to this day, it's still more difficult for me to write a song that comes from a place of joy than comes from a place of heartbreak. And, and so that inner darkness piece that you talked about is so, so real I had a lot of friends around me that were users and they would be convinced that they could do, it's like uh, the movie half bait, but have you, have you tried this on weed? Right. Like, yeah. and then we turned into something bigger and heavier and then you combine it with alcohol and then all of a sudden you got dead friends and it's like, and it mm-hmm. all came from this very um, small thing, this small, ins- it's almost like inception belief that you had this, artistic thing that could only be enhanced if you drank, smoked, used, or had heartbreak. And then it just Mm -hmm. begins to fester as a cancer instead of as this thing you think it really is, which is maybe a nugget of gold or, or your fountain of youth. And it's, it's really powerful. I, I, I've lived that. Mm -hmm. I live that. And you're right. It holds you back. It constrains you, uh, versus, um, um, being something that that takes you to the next level, like you think. So also appreciate that. Yeah. What it makes me think of is darkness only grows more darkness, right? It's that's all that it can do is repeat history and repeat itself and replicate. Um, Whereas light grows and expands and it just reveals more and more and more of the truth. So that that's a really beautiful sentiment. And it also made me think of that belief that we need to be sad or in love with our sadness in order to create something profound. And I I think that comes from the reality that we're all more familiar with the nuances of sadness Mm -hmm. and darkness, and we're willing to explore it, right? Because everyone else is there. We're all sharing that frequency, that low vibration of, of downness and heaviness. So it's like, oh, we can swim in this pool. And I'm very familiar with the water right? Like Eskimos that have 30 words for different types of snow. (laughs) We can find all the different ways to talk about sadness because we've been swimming in that pool for so long. But feelings of joy and rapture and bliss and love and expansion and connection, these are all kind of new things to us. And we don't really know what we're getting into yet. So it's kind of coupled with um, a, a bit of discomfort right? Because it's like, oh, this, maybe this isn't safe because it feels really new to me. Right. But also like, I don't know how to talk about all this stuff yet. I don't have all the poems to describe joy yet because I haven't been in the pool long enough. And it's yeah, like, and well, I gotta, let's I have just a encourage thought. more people to get in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I got a thought for you on that. And then it just, just came to me because I've been in that space too, you know, where it's like mm-hmm. you write poetry out of the sadness. And mm-hmm. the thing that just came to me is that 
I think the reason we can we write in sadness is because mm-hmm. we sit in sadness, but we live in joy. And what I mean by that is that when you're sitting in that moment, you're alone, right? There's a sense of mm-hmm. like loneliness or or being by yourself in sadness. And mm-hmm. you can brood, you can think about it, right? And and then if you are a, if you are poetic, then that turns into words that you write to get that sadness out. But mm-hmm. when you live in joy, it's more likely that you're living with other people in that joy, and you don't mm-hmm. have time to write because you were living <laughs> in happiness. That's beautiful. That's yeah, you know, and it just, that's interesting. Oh, it yeah. totally just hit me because, like, I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest again, Jennifer. What the heck are you doing to me? Like, I'm over here, like, living this truth right now. Like, one of the Good. things I'm gonna tell you, yes. I, right? I, I'm gonna tell you, my <laughs> wife's gonna see this, so I'm, I'm gonna say this, right? So, I used to write a lot of poetry for my wife, okay, mm-hmm. and she has noticed that over time, I have not written as much poetry for her, mm-hmm. and I know why. Because once upon a dream, she was not my wife. And once upon mm-hmm. a dream, we did not live together and enjoy and experience all the things together. So there was a period of longing that I had yes. for my wife. And in those periods of longing and in those periods of being alone with my thoughts, I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I delivered those messages of longing and love and desire to her because I was in my own space and in my own time. But then mm. we got married and we had a family and we are living in happiness and living in joy. So I'm living the poetry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The poetry is now my life. It doesn't need to be the words that I brood over. And I think right. that, so that sentiment to me, I feel like I'm now living it. I'm living that joy and therefore the words don't flow as freely as they do because I'm living it. So yeah, anyway, I just and, thought and about you use, that. It's beautiful. And you use the word time a few moments there. And the truth of the matter is when we're in that sad place and in that low vibration, we are in time. So we spend time with yep. our feelings, with our thoughts, enough to write down those poems, to even be inspired with them. But when we're in joy, you're literally out of time. Mm. You're... You're so present. You're so right now that the past and the future are out of your mind. So you're just right. And so the answer is maybe it's because I'm so in joy with you. I'm so present (laughs) with you that I don't need poems anymore. Right. (laughs) That's right. You got it. Imagine poetry being something that actually is, it needs to be cured almost. It's almost like I I don't need the, you you knock the poetry out of me through the joy yeah. that you, that you bring. And look, for, for me, you know, I happened to feel like I was good at writing those songs and I didn't want to eliminate it, but I did notice that it was false and there's nothing worse. You can be called as an artist than a hack. If mm. somebody calls you a hack, that is a major insult. That's like the worst. And if it's true, you should consider quitting. Right. <laughs> and, and I can tell you though, those early sad songs I wrote in my early twenties, they were specifically written to try to draw an emotion out of the audience versus being authentic. And so now when I do write a sad song, it is like you said at the top of this conversation, Jennifer, it is like, I am saying the things 
that could cost me the people in my life because yeah. at least it's true. Yeah. Or at least it's like the real thing. And the songs are so much better to me. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter that they're, you know, I think they're better to everyone else too, but they're definitely more rewarding and better for me. So I sleep better at night just writing those things from that, that authentic place, you know? So th- there's something key about that too, that radical honesty where that has to come through in your filmmaking. That has to come through yes. in your songwriting. That has to come through in your poetry. And if you don't do that, the or your podcasting, if you don't do that, then everyone knows you're a hack and everyone knows you're being, you know, false. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how quickly the audience picks up on, oh, that doesn't ring true. Like mm-hmm. that's that's not it. Mm-hmm. And I talk about it with our team all the time on this podcast. Like, no, we have to do what we would do, even if yeah. it's uncomfortable, even if it's not the best for everybody, because they will smell the falseness, you know? And, and so I, it's really, really important to me. And in, in, in when you're writing a, a screenplay, for example, and making a film that those characters show up as authentic as possible, as real as possible. And, and so I just dig that whole vibe. I, before I forget, I want to give kudos to your friend with the new construction home. <laughs> yeah. What's, her, what, what's her, her name? Round of applause. Hey, Chrissy Policare, and she's one of our producers as well. Props to Chrissy. Here's why. It's always better to have an older home as your film location, especially, no offense, for a first-time filmmaker. Because with a new construction home, I, honestly, Jennifer, I would hire security. And if somebody scratched my new wood floor, if somebody put a yeah, hole right. in my drywall, they'd be like thrown out the door by like their waistband and their collar. Like sure. it's hard to do a feature film in somebody's new construction home and not mess something up. So that's the flip side. As a filmmaker, as cast and crew, your art direction, your set direction, they have to do stuff. They have to put pinholes in your wall. They have to put paintings up. They have to nail things. There has to be tape on the floor for the marks for the cast. Like you are giving up a lot when you say, this is my new house. Come film a feature in it over 20 days. And she was so graceful the entire time. I mean, she's she's a doctor. She was waking up at 5 a.m. and going to work while we were filming all night. Like it was oh, wow. it was a lot. And she was so graceful through the entire thing. It was she's amazing. She's incredible. She didn't say a word about anything. She was just happy to have us in her home and filming there, letting my first film take place in that location. It was, it was just, it was a beautiful collaboration really. How aware of you were, uh, were you of those things though? Oh, extremely. And my, my crew knew all about it. I mean, we, but everyone knew. And that's the, that's the cool thing is when you're making films at a high level of consciousness, you're not working with people that don't care about yeah. the home you're filming in. They they care if the, you know, the leg of the C stand bumps the hallway wall. They care if they leave a mark on the wall when they pull the tape off. So that's the thing is I barely had to say anything to my crew. They knew, they understood this isn't just a new home. This is my friend's new home. Yeah. And it was like, that's all I had to say. They got it and they were so respectful. And now listen, we did repaint her hallway after we left. That was the <laughs> quarters. <laughs> but listen, we noticed, we were like, hey, there's some brush I marks here it. that were not I there before. It. It and happens. we painted it. 
it happens. It's all good. So I want to I want to mention as something long as you about fix the crew. It, it's all quick. good. Yeah. Yeah. I want to mention something about the crew. So Chris and I have, you know, a couple like first principles. Right. And, and one of them that you'll hear a lot that we'll say a lot is no mercenaries. So and and that comes from, you know, experience from us. I mean, we've we've hired people for certain jobs and it's like they come for the job. Right. They walk in, they have their own. They're not there for us. Right. They're for there for the mm-hmm. work. They're there for the paycheck and they're out. So mm-hmm. could you just talk a little bit about your crew, your team, how Half Jack operates and how it sounds to me immediately when you said like they get it. They already get it because they're at a higher level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. How do you work that into your crew and how do you guys work so that you're not working in a mercenary situation, but all of you are working together to achieve some level of outcome? Well, I was fortunate enough that my DP, Scott Jacoby, and his media company, Original Media, that he had a very comfortable crew. They had a shorthand. They had a lot of respect for each other. They've been friends a long time. And so I knew when I connected with Scott, I knew that I could trust his connection with his team. Mm -hmm. And then all of the people that we hired outside of that, I went on my gut. And that's how I knew that I was securing the right people. Like there was, I mean, we were down to the wire with hiring a few of the positions and even one of the actors and it was okay. I knew we'd find them in time because I knew that there's no way all this was going to happen and the universe was going to short me a sound guy or (laughs) one of the (laughs) the actors. (laughs) So it's like, I just knew that I hadn't found them yet. So like, just keep trusting that and follow, follow your gut. And every single person I hired on gut, it was perfect. It was like the vibe was there. We got it. And even if there's a one or two people that I wouldn't work with again, it was perfect for this project. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah and I, and I, mm-hmm. I love and that. And there are ways, Nick, you know, to, to sort of insert someone who might quote unquote be a mercenary. You know, the way we like to do it, Jennifer, is like you have someone, maybe someone's new to town which is like my most recent example. And they really don't know anybody. They're itching to network with, you know, quality people in town that are working on a regular basis. It's good to just like bring them in with someone who's not a mercenary and work, you know, side by side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're in, if you're an HMU, like let's like, like bring you in, have you work with someone we know in that plus maybe also wardrobe or the, you know, the, 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 uh, set stylist or whatever Mm -hmm. like someone like that where yeah where like you know these two people are going to bring this new person into the culture of what it is you do right and like the vibe that you mentioned the vibe like that's like Mm -hmm. i know that's kind of like a a, a, could be sort of cliche to some people or like they don't understand but it's like that really is a thing like there's a set vibe And once every, and it's really about rhythm to me. I don't know how you feel, Jennifer, but it's like the pace in which people even walk and that Mm -hmm. rhythm in which, um, that gets set up early, it dictates everything. It tells you how quick you're going to do your turnarounds Mm -hmm. and like, okay, are we the type of crew that like discusses, 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 and then do, does the turnaround or do we just get, or do we know in advance, do we have the discussion first? And like sort of have a crew meeting and then like, boom, we know we're going to shoot here. We're going to do there. We're going to get our plates here. Like yep. things like that if you're using VFX or whatever. But I mean, that that's kind of that thought of like how to bring in a mercenary. Because you, the, the pushback I've gotten on that, Nick, and the reason I bring it up 
is it's inevitable, it's because right? it's, it's that people are like, yeah, you're going to have to bring in a mercenary. How do you like, yep. what, you're going to have to, as an indie filmmaker, bring in somebody you've never worked with before and how do you do it and how do you make sure? But I think the thing is, is no mercenaries at key positions. Like you mentioned your relationship with Scott and that mm-hmm. created trust with his whole team. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, yeah. okay, I can't have a mercenary as my cinematographer. Just can't. Right. And yep. I definitely can't have a mercenary at my producer level. Like I got to right. have, you know, somebody, I, I know the vibes as you put. And it is, it's a, it's a vibe to me. It's like, you know, when you're vibing with somebody and when you're not, and even if your brain tells you, but they have the best resume or they're definitely the best person for this or so-and-so told me they're great. If they're not vibing with me, you don't have the job because I have to work very closely with you under extremely high pressure and high stress situations. So if we're not vibing, you're not helping me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're hindering yeah. me. So it's like just building the right, the right radio station. You know, you're building a radio station that you're listening to for this whole project. So it's like, build it right. And, and I will add something to this is, you know, like how, how do you do it? You can sense the difference between someone coming to your project, trying to get something versus mm. someone coming to your project, trying to give yes. something. I hired people that wanted to give to this project. Oh, I love what I do, or I loved your script and I want to try my hand at this and I'm really passionate about it. This will be fun. Like that, you can feel that and you can sense it, even if they're saying those right things, but you can feel that they're coming to get something from you or to, you know, use you as a boost to get ahead. Mm -mm. No, (laughs) move on. (laughs) There's plenty of people out there that will not be able to sense this. Go let them hire you. You're right. Not me. (laughs) I love yeah. it. Jennifer, awesome. the, the suspense is killing me. We have to show this trailer. Can we show this trailer? Is that cool? Yes, please. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let me show this trailer real quick. Yeah, let's do it, man. What are you feeling right now? You're here. Thank you. Good night. Truth or dare. Tom, have you ever fantasized about another man? I just walked in on you masturbating like a teenager. <laughs> no, I haven't. I call bullshit. Um, anyone want another? Get him something hard. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual fantasies are just emblematic of something coveted in reality. Like power. Always power. Or whatever. Fill in the blank. We're still talking about dicks. <laughs> Noah, what won't your wife give you in bed that you wish she would? Nothing. My wife gives me everything I need. You're all out of your minds. What are you feeling right now? Very vulnerable. Why is it that we have a million words to talk about our victimhood and only one to describe love, the most complex human experience there is? I know you need more. More what? You tell me. Of what specifically are you terrified? The unknown. Getting old. Being abandoned. All I've ever wanted was a chance to love you as you are. 
I've fallen and I can't get up. Can we get a doctor no. over here? Stop it. Um, They're probably all doctors. That was dope. That was dope. Yeah. I immediately thought Nick Telefilms Kristen Baker as a distribution point, potentially like, like that would be a, per- a partnership made in heaven maybe. But I think this can be, do whatever it wants to do. Like, especially yeah, if, if, now, the tra- if the movie's like the trailer. Yeah. And here's, here's a question I have, Jennifer, is this, yeah. is it's a, so on IMDb, you got it set up as a drama, but I'm getting tons of comedic notes here. Right. So oh, like, <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. So like, is it just a drama or is it a drama and a comedy or is it just, you're pushing more towards the drama side for how you're marketing the film? To me, comedy is me having fun with the drama. Okay. So it's, like it. it's not so much I set out to put it in that genre. Um, I think it's just a natural side effect of these characters speaking to each other. Like, it, it does it. that make sense? So to me, it's, it it's not so much a selling point. It's more of the cherry on top of the drama. Okay. And I think it's yeah, very like human, it. too, because people will couch pain and all sorts of other things in, in, in humor. Definitely. You know, so the, the way to get out of an awkward situation is just make a quick joke and then boom, you're, you're free. And when the characters do that, that comes off as authentic. Uh, yep. You know, they say, write what you know. Do you know this story? Oh, Jennifer? yes. I like, know, did I you, know this did you story very this? well. <laughs> yeah. I know this story very, very well. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot in here regarding my wife and my journey t- towards radical honesty, you know, realizing how much you lie to say, yes, I'd love to go to that restaurant tonight or, oh, yes, I'd love to have that person over for dinner. And, you know, no, I, I didn't mean that. There's so many lies that we tell to stay safe. And mm-hmm. one day we just decided no more. We're telling the truth. We love each other enough. This is nonsense. Like, let's get real. And that journey has just provoked this new perspective when I watch my friends or listen to people talk. And, you know, every one of these characters is either highly inspired or based on me, my wife, our friends, people we know. It's just I'm, I'm fascinated by humans. I'm, I just am. I always have been. And I'm a keen observer of our behavior because I can feel what's going on on the inside with people. I'm highly empathic and highly intuitive. So it's like, I've always been totally fascinated by what I feel is going on inside of you versus mm-hmm. what you're showing me and what you're willing to share and why it stops only part way in. Yeah. So, and that, that in and of itself is, is dangerous, right? It, it could be dangerous to be your friend it, in, in a way, way you know, <laughs> you know it, like, like, you know, cause it, there are people who like to be lied to, mm-hmm. right? Like not that they're doing the lying. I'm sure they are, but there are people that like to be lied to. Like I would rather oh, sure. you not tell me that. Like I would rather oh, not sure. know that. That character is represented in this film too. Yeah, you know, that's something that really fascinates me more than anything is people that are truly unwilling to drop their mask. Yeah, truly unwilling because they don't feel safe enough. There you go. That fascinates me more than anything, and 
And to be perfectly honest, those are the people I hope to reach the most deeply with what I write and what I direct. There's a ton of pain in it too, from time to time. You know, there's an example I'm thinking of in my head. I had a friend who had a girlfriend that cheated on him and he was giving her the, you know, like the Spanish inquisition on all the details of what happened. And I had advice from at the time, this guy named Marcus, who was my, my manager of my singing group that I had at the time, he'd give me this advice and I gave it to my friend. I said, don't ask her that stuff, man. All it's going to do is hurt. Like, like what benefit do you get by knowing uh, size, color, and shape? Like, like you don't need to know mm-hmm. that. Like all you, you know, the truth, like that's good enough. So what do you say to that? Like it, it, to me, there's a superfluous type of truth that just, that isn't worth well, it. I mean, know? let's, let's not confuse capital T truth with verisimilitude, oh, yeah, right? Okay. Like, yes. mm-hmm. You know, there's what I'm after is capital T truth, mm-hmm. right? Get, getting to know the soul of a person, even, you know, sifting through all of the egotistical nonsense to get to the soul of the person. And I, I think that, I think that that's what most people confuse radical honesty with is what you're talking about. It's that like superficial level of detail. All that is, is feeding your ego, whether it's to make it more rageful or to make it more victim or to make it uh, more sad. I I mean, we can, we can dig into that level of detail through the ego. And that's, that just couches us further into whatever we feel we already are. Um, or we can use that truth to get to something deeper and something more permanent. Um, the truth of it all, the capital T truth of it all. And that's really what, what I'm interested in unpacking and finding. That makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. And you mentioned Chris, that idea that people, some people like being lied to. And what's interesting is that what that made me think of was, I think we've probably all seen this through either narrative film or even documentary film on prisoners, people who've been in prison for a long time. And you'll find that they'll come out of prison and they'll do something to put themselves back in prison. Yeah. Right. And then, and then there'll be this conversation about, you know, well, he's just a criminal. He's just, you know, he's a thief or he's whatever, but the story unfolds and you find out that the criminal committed the crime to go back to prison, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't because they're a criminal. They wanted to go back to jail. You know, like, well, mm-hmm. why would someone want to do this? Well, because it's safe. Yeah. And the ego right? loves familiarity. The ego loves what it knows. So it just seeks to repeat it and replicate it over and over and over. And I think that's why people wake up at 65 and they're like, where the hell did my life go? Who am I? Who have I become? How did I lose myself? And when did it happen? And maybe you're not 65 and that happens. Maybe you're 32, but it happens to all of us. And it's either we wake up at that moment and say no more of this, or we go back to sleep. And (laughs) all of this, (laughs) all of this is represented in the film because it's not just one way. And, you know, I'm not the type of writer that seeks out the good ending. I'm the type of writer that seeks out the authentic and the true ending. And to me, life on this planet, our greatest truth is bittersweet. And we get the good with the bad because everything has two sides. Um, so that's what I seek to reflect in my stories. I tell you, you want to see this movie. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I can't wait to see it. Um, you, you might need to, you might need to send us the secret link. Um, <laughs> yep, exactly. I, and and, and by the film. way, uh, we're, wink, we're, wink. we're gonna ask yep. we're gonna ask you this, you know, in, in here in a minute, just about like what the future of the film is and the festival run is. I just want to name drop here that I'm on the board of of two entities that have film festivals. One is the Nashville Film Festival, so Oscar qualifying film festival. And the other one is the women in film and television that is the Swift summit every year. And so I would just say, if, if you're coming through the South, make sure you submit to the Nashville film festival. And, okay. I, and why don't we go ahead and name drop the Fayetteville film festival who yep, we do a lot that. of close work with. We judge their films every year and do, do some, you know, pitch work with, with some young filmmakers there. Well, filmmakers of all ages, honestly, but, but, new, but young in the business filmmakers. And that's just a great, highly, highly underrated film festival. We have a bunch of festival partners all across the country, all across the world, actually. And so uh, just curious what that journey is for you. But before I get to that, Pennsylvania, we have all these people who have come out of Pennsylvania that are either live in LA or Nashville or some in New York, Chicago that have been on this podcast, but they're all from Pennsylvania. So I just find this really interesting thing that's happening there. What is the indie film in Pennsylvania? Like, what are we missing? If you're an outsider. It's me. Hi. Hand <laughs> <laughs> <Land> up. <laughs> um, they probably all left because unless you're willing to do it all yourself, uh, it's not going to happen for you here, but mm. I'm very rooted here. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, we have a home here and my family is here and my wife's art studio is here and we love it here. It, we're in the woods and it's very private and beautiful and there's nature. And we woke up to a bunch of baby deer in our backyard this morning. Love like it. who wants to leave that? Yeah, <laughs> so it's awesome. very inspiring and nurturing. So um, I'll make it happen wherever I am. Produce where you are. But what, what is That's the right. state involvement? Uh, if someone came and shot in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. do you know if there's a grant rebate, what that percentage is? Is there any help from the taxpayer whatsoever? There's supposed to be, but every time I called, the answer was there's no money call in three months. So I really? just got tired of calling. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah okay. So Pennsylvania has got to pick up their game on that. If it were that actually surprises me just because of how large Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are alone. Yeah. Like there's well, going to be films there, you know? It seemed to me as though the money that was there went to larger projects. Went to M. Night Shyamalan? Is, is, yeah, exactly, which is super <laughs> unfortunate because, I mean, if you want people to come film here, it's probably not going to be yeah. him. It's probably going to be people like me. Yeah. So it, it's too bad that they're only willing to give money to people that already have it. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a tough one. I think it's very similar you know, here in, in, in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be 25%. Sometimes they end up giving you 20 mm -hmm. and then even though the state has, I believe, 15 billion, if not 20 billion in surplus, they only give $2 million sort of nest egg each year for every indie project. And then once that's gone, it's gone. Like they just like Pennsylvania, they're out of money. But if you come in with like a show like ABC's Nashville, mm -hmm. then, you know, you can spend up to, I think, 89 million or something like that. Bob Rains, if you're listening to this, you feel free to correct me. <laughs> He's the commissioner of the of TN Entertains. Uh, so, um, or the director, I might have his title wrong. Uh, producer at least might correct me on that. But yeah, I, I, it's, 
we depend on that stuff. And so yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. it's an uphill battle, I think, too, in certain places where the city is blue, but the state is red. Not right. that that people who are uh, conservatives don't like movies. They love movies. Love them. Mm-hmm. But the politicians sometimes see it as their constituent constituencies will not support additional monies going to the arts because these people tend to be not conservatives. Mm-hmm. And so we just have to like get over that. Like we all love movies. They bring us together. They're human stories, as you put it. And yes, Bob Rain's executive director of Teen Entertainment. Thank you, producer Elise. And we just have to get over that because all we're going to get out of it is more creativity, more jobs, and more great stories like Wildfire, like like you told. So I'm super pumped to see it. I want to see what happens to it on the festival run outside of going to more festivals where you've already won, I think up to this point, 14 laurels. You've got four screenings coming up. Can you say where those screenings are and what the future is for you in this film? And for yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had our world premiere at Red Dirt Film Festival. Then just a few weeks ago, is that we in were Oklahoma. At, it is. It's okay. in Stillwater, which is a mm-hmm. cool little town. Um, then we went to Durham, North Carolina, for Out South Queer Film Festival, which mm-hmm. was amazing and amazing, beautiful people. Um, next is the Women's Film Festival in Philadelphia. That's September twenty sixth. That screening. Um, then we're going to Marbella, Spain for the Marbella International Film Festival. Film of Palooza is in, is there in March or May, by the way. Oh yeah. If you want to try for Film of Palooza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah right sorry. Out, right? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Wait, what's um, the, what's the date in Spain again, Jennifer? That is October 6th. Oh. That's the Friday. It's October 6th. I'm going to be in then, Spain the 17th to the 26th. Get out of here. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so I, was, I would have totally been at your screening. I'm that nuts. would have been incredible. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nuts, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, during that same week, we're playing at Awareness Film Festival in L.A. You're going across the country the with this yet. thing. Yeah, we're all over the place. North American, European tour. Let's do this. That is amazing. That is amazing. (laughs) So I know as a filmmaker, you have something else sort of in your mind rolling around. What's, uh, what's the future look like once, once, uh, you go through this festival run, what's, what's your next project or what's the next step for wildfire? Yeah, I'm in, well, for wildfire, um, I'm let's get a distributor. Let's do what we do there. Um, but as far as the next project for half Jack generation, my production company, I'm in development on my next script which is called Woman of God. And it's really a story about a nun who is losing her connection to God. And when a former student returns to her university, she is profoundly faithful while completely outside of religion and unapologetically sexual. And the two may or may not have a love affair. I'm still in development, but most likely knowing me, they will absolutely have one. And, (laughs) (laughs) and it's really a story about finding God through your heart and not through anything outside of you. Yeah. I love this. That is something that I grew up with, by the way, I grew up with that very sentiment, which was my father used to always say, why do I need this story or these stories to be a good person? Why is mm-hmm. it? Why, I don't understand why to be a good person, to be kind to your neighbor, to be faithful to your partner, whatever it may be. Why do I have to be told to do so by this book? 
Mm-hmm. And it always resonated with me, hit home with me hard. It's like, I don't, because all up to that point, I, everyone that did, that espoused that kind of life was religious. Mm-hmm. They were like highly religious. Like I didn't make sense. Yeah. And I think the big question is why do I need a set of rules that are given to me by anything other than my own heart? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know, deep down, if you're doing right or wrong. Yeah. I was going to say, I think maybe so. And I think that for me, you know, I think, you know, we're all probably in that, in a similar space with respect to religion and faith and the universe and all that. Um, but I've, you know, because of raising my children, right. I've noticed that those stories, they don't necessarily have to come from, let's say a book, right. An external thing, but they got to come from somewhere. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that I've noticed also, not just raising my children, but also, you know, I coach soccer. So the kids that I'm dealing with have different parents. They have different communities, potentially. They have different influences. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how do you bring those folks who may not have those stories coming directly from their own family, right? They may not see those examples. How do you bring them closer to God? whatever God is, right? How do you bring them mm-hmm. closer to knowing what the right thing is? If you've seen your father beat your mother, right? Over, you know, the wrong outfit that she wore or the wrong food put on the table, what is right and wrong? And I think mm-hmm. that's the challenge. And I think that's where the, some of the basis of even religion comes from is that you don't know what the experiences are of these other people and the examples they see in their life. So how do you bring them closer to God? So it isn't just about mm-hmm. the stories or the stories being bad. It's really the bastardization of those stories for the purposes of the centralization of power. Right. I can use those stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I can use those stories yeah. to do anything I want if I want to put myself in power. That's like Jennifer was saying earlier about the ego. Right. Those stories can be wonderful if you take yourself out of the center of the universe. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. really where those stories are coming from. And I think what, you know, Jennifer, what you're doing is awesome because you're giving another option. You're giving another place for those stories to be told. Right. That doesn't mean that the stories that are told in the Bible or the Quran or anywhere else are necessarily bad. It's but that some of the stuff that's around it, the ego that's driving the power, all that kind of stuff is making exactly that. Exactly. So you're saying, let me find a human way of saying some of the same stuff that might be in those books, but I'm Mm -hmm. doing it in a different way. And guess what? That's okay. It doesn't have to Mm -hmm. be that way. It can be in other ways. You can find that closeness to God, that closeness to the universe, or more importantly, you can find the closeness to your fellow man through these other human stories and the representation of those stories on the screen. So I think that, again, what you're doing is is great and is, is close to the human heart. And that's, those are the stories that I think Chris and I have always said, those are the stories that need to be told. Thank you for that. Yeah. I'm interested in finding capital D divinity, which is something that can't be taken or given to anyone or anything. It just is. And, you know, a lot of people in power, what they're wielding is lowercase d divinity, which is divinity of the ego, which is not real. And it's, you know, power over people that is false. It's an illusion. And it's the, the tool that they're using is fear. And the tool I'm using is love. 
And it's like, if I can just tell stories about the, all the nuances of love and all of the, the beautiful chambers of the human heart, that's what I want to explore. And that's what I want to inspire people to explore within themselves. Uh, here, here. And Let's I'm go. reminded of a metaphor that do it. a gun can be a paperweight or a murder weapon. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you use it depending on how you use it. And that's right. uh, I think that's a great yeah. point that both of you were making. And with that, Jennifer, I just have to tell you that this was just an amazing time. So much fun. I feel the same. Yes. Great conversation. And I cannot thank you enough for, for joining us. Can you tell everybody one more time where they can find you on the internet, social media, see some of your work? Yep. You can go to my production company's website, which is halfjackgeneration.com, or you can go directly to the film's website, which is thewildfiremovie.com. And everything you need to know is on both of those sites. Perfect. Folks, if you're listening, you know what to do next. The trailer was thebomb.com. As I like to say, uh, I think that the whole movie was going to follow suit. So catch it and support Jennifer early and while you can, because in any film, we need all the support we can get on these films. Because the reality is, and Nick, I know you've brought this up a lot of times. There's a lot of people that say they love indie film, but then we find out they're supporting the Avengers and not supporting that indie filmmaker. So go out there, truly support a real person doing real things in indie film in Pennsylvania, Jennifer Cooney. So more power to you. I'm looking forward to seeing where your journey uh, ends up and, and where it continues uh, to go. I think it's just going to hockey stick. Uh, based on what I've seen and, and what I've heard and, and how authentic you are. Folks, I think you know where to find us. If you want to learn more about Bonsai Creative, you want to learn more about the Make It Podcast, it's really easy. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or on Spotify. We have an incredible YouTube page that we built this year, thanks to the wonderful team here at the Make It Podcast. So go to that, subscribe, check out all of our videos. We upload new stuff weekly. And uh, I think you'll get a lot of value out of that if you're on your own indie film journey. If you want to uh, reach out to Nick, uh, he has an email. That's nick at bonsai.film. You can reach out to me on X slash Twitter at flame in your heart, or you can just search for Chris Barkley and I will come right up at this point. If you want to reach out to us and ask us any questions, we are at contact at bonsai.film or on social media at underscore Bonsai Creative or underscore Make It Podcast. We'll get both of those. We respond to 100% of those messages. Last but certainly not least, we do a bi-weekly newsletter, which is a labor of love for us. You can subscribe to that at bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. It's completely free. We do not sell your information. We will not spam you. All we will give you is this esoteric take on all the things happening in film over the last two weeks from software to tools, to discounts, to festivals, to articles, to uh, commentary. Uh, we really enjoy putting this newsletter together. And it's not like any other film newsletter where they just aggregate a bunch of articles they pulled from IndieWire and Hollywood Reporter and put them in one spot for you. We don't do that. We try not to be, as I mentioned earlier, hacks. So uh, bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. And so with all of that, with that giant diatribe, I give it over to you, Nick, to leave us with the credo. 
Yep, for sure. And yeah, that was a lot. That was like a mouthful and a half full, you know? So, <laughs> but I will say, you know, a couple of things. One, Chris, it's always a pleasure doing this wonderful thing with you. I appreciate you, dude. Yes, sir. Uh, and again, uh, happy birthday. And then for Jennifer, for coming on, this was amazing. Um, I can already see just how wonderful you are as a human being. And it is amazing when people have these powers that are obviously inborn, that she's able to touch the folks that she's around um, to get them to uh, reaffirm the journey that you're on, Jennifer, and then also to allow 100%. us the space and the comfort to open up about our own truths. I mean, this is the first meeting and we're already opening up and letting this happen. So I can only imagine what you'll be able to do through your film. So thank you so much for being with That's us. That's so we kind, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, I My enjoyed pleasure. every minute. Thank you so much for having me. That is awesome. So with that, I will say to our friends and our family and our followers out there, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. That's right. Jennifer, thank you so Looking much. Looking forward to next time. You're See awesome. you guys. Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe. And we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters, including bonus content, exclusive swag, and discounts and freebies to private film events. If that sounds like something you can get behind, Donations start at only $5 monthly. And, of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.banzai.film and click on Services to explore our unrivaled approach to film marketing. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening.